Well, good morning. Happy New Year again to you all. I'm very glad that we have the opportunity to be together this morning. Um, wasn't sure at the end of this week what was gonna, the weather was going to bring, but the Lord has allowed us through his grace to be able to meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I am, I am grateful for the opportunity to bring the first message of 2022 here at Eureka Bible Church, and I'm glad that each and every one of you are here this morning. Now, I would like you to oblige me for one moment this morning. I know that the Christmas season's kind of over. You know, the decorations are coming down and the trees are coming down. And it just, it's kind of the Christmas season's over. But if you just oblige me for a moment, I'd, I'd like to go back to Christmas for just a moment uh, to begin this message this morning. Uh, so during the, the mid-19th century, or in the mid-1800s in England, there wasn't much of a celebration going on of Christmas. There just wasn't, there wasn't giving of gifts, there wasn't singing of Christmas carols, there just wasn't a lot of decorating. It wasn't a, a major holiday, it was just like any other holiday, usually just didn't have that much of a special meaning. And there was an author by the name of Charles Dickens um, who had written very many novels and had been very, was very famous, had traveled to America, was w- worldwide famous, but his last two novels had failed and he needed a new novel. He needed something else to write and he came to the decision that he was going to write a Christmas story, and people mocked him for it. They said, you only have six or seven weeks to write this. There's no way you're going to be able to write it, and nobody cares about Christmas. This is, this is going to have no meaning. There, one of, what's become one of my favorite Christmas movies is a, a movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is the, the story of Charles Dickens' writing of A Christmas Carol. And what you see in there is, as he gets towards the end of the story, he starts to have writer's block. He has all of his characters. He has Ebenezer Scrooge. He has Tiny Tim. He has Bob Cratchit. He has all of his characters there. But he just can't find an ending. The people that read over his story are saying, Tiny Tim can't die. You can't let him die. You can't let the story go on. Because there just was no fitting ending. And you want to know why that was the case? It was because Charles Dickens had stuff that he had to root out of his own heart. He had bitterness towards the fact that he had to be in in the workhouses as a a child. He had bitterness towards his father because of the fact he had to work in those workhouses and because his dad didn't really take care of him and have the right relationship with him. So in that movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas, you see change in him. As he's writing the story, he starts to recognize the problems with his own heart. And as he starts to root those problems, as he starts to forgive in his heart, Ebenezer Scrooge begins to forgive in his heart. And you see that the ending of the story where, where Ebenezer Scrooge, after he sees the ghost of the, the, of the future, he changes. And he, he sees it's Christmas Day and he becomes a whole new man. And the story is classic that we have today. And I often think in our own hearts, when we come to this passage today, it can be easy for us. You know, this isn't, this isn't a, a passage that's easy for us to talk about in the new year, right? We, we, we've come off the holidays, everything's cheerful and joyful, and here we come to this passage this morning of Jesus talking with the Pharisees and the scribes and, and giving woes to them. But we are often, like Charles Dickens, like Ebenezer Scrooge, we are often blinded by our own hearts, blinded by our own inability to see deeply inside of us. We like that neat image on the outside. We want people to see us through who. We don't want people to see the depth of us. They don't want to see our hearts, our real hearts, our minds, what we're thinking. We want people to see this clean image on the outside. But in the truth of the matter is our heart is far away from God and we are being very self-righteous. So the religious leaders can be very easy to pick on when we read this passage this morning. But I want to look myself in the mirror and I want you to look yourself in the mirror today and, and recognize 
that Jesus isn't just speaking to religious, religious leaders. He's speaking to all of us because we all have things in our hearts. We all have things in our minds that we all have parts of us that are self-righteous. And I think this is a passage this morning that can help us to really try to root some of that out. So if you open up your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 11. Um, we're going to be starting in verse 37. So we'll be in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. So last week, Pastor Aaron kind of talked about a couple of guys, a couple of people that were questioning who Jesus was, kind of grappling with his identity. Um, and so one of the things that I think we need to ask going into this passage is, is have we, do we receive Jesus as he should be, as, as the Bible claims it to be, as he lived his life on earth? Do we see Jesus that way? Do we identify with Jesus as being the one that the Bible, in, uh, through God's word, through his authority, tells us that he is? Because often we want to shape Jesus to be who we want him to be, right? We want him to be in our image. But God has told us who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. And he is one worthy of worship. And so we saw that last week. And at the end of that passage that Pastor Aaron led through us, he talked about the idea of light. And how often that we squelch that light inside of us. Because of the depth of the sin and the struggle, the self-righteousness our light is being squelched. Like, we don't want it to, right? We don't take the, the lamp and put a basket over it so you can't see it. That's not what we want to do as Christians. And so that's what leads us into today's passage, is that Jesus is going to meet with a Pharisee and, a scri and the scribes, and he's going to show us what it looks like to have real darkened hearts and really show us in our own hearts how we are self-righteous and how we need to change. So if you read along with me here, we're going to read the first few verses there of of Luke, of this passage. So Luke 11, starting in verse 37. Follow along with me there. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did he, did he not who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So answering three questions this morning. First question is, is what we see on the outside real? So what we see on the inside, like what we see on the outside, our image, who we are, is that who we are on the inside? That's the first question we ask ourselves from, from this passage. So Jesus meets with a Pharisee. I think that one of the things that could be missed in this passage is, is the, the people, the religious leaders were always angry, right? Because he would meet with the tax collectors, he would meet with the sinners, he would meet with the people that you really should not be meeting with. That's, what, that's the way they would view it. But here he's meeting with the Pharisees. So Jesus was fair in the way he met with people. He, he was with everyone, right? He's spending time, he's not ignoring even the religious leaders. He's spending time reclining at the table, meeting with, with a religious leader, one that is started to already become an enemy of, you know, what we would consider an enemy because of the way that they have treated Jesus and tried to get him. So we see here he's dining with this person, this, this Pharisee. But ver the very first, I mean, they just sit down, they're reclining right away. It's already started. The, the conflict is already there, right? The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And it would be easy for us in our American culture to kind of see this as hygiene, but it's not really speaking of hygiene. That's not, what, that's not what we're going for here. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had all these extra biblical rules. They had all these things that you had to follow. And so instead of being, uh, talking about 
like hygiene, that, that we're talking about being ceremoniously clean. So like what you needed to do before you ate is that you had to clean your hands really well, uh, talking about more than just an outside cleaning, but an inside clean. So you're ceremoniously cleaning yourself. And so Jesus didn't do that. So you might see that I have this cup up here. So obviously, Trey Zoss was joking with me, this is probably not my mug, right? So it's, a, it's a, a frozen mug. This was my wife's coffee cup from this morning. So it says Destiny Awaits, and there's Olaf there. So this is my wife's coffee cup. So, you know, it's, it's really pretty on the outside. If you like frozen especially, it's kind of nice on the outside. But it's kind of dirty on the inside, right? It has coffee in it. And I, I, maybe you could even imagine, maybe if you, some of you during Christmas time have had one of those, what you call those hot cocoa bombs. You ever put one of those in your cup? Ever seen how dirty your cup gets when you put one of those in there? So you, you see here, th- that's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is telling them, you look really pretty and nice on the outside, but on the inside you're really dirty. It's really dirty, nasty, sinful hearts on the inside, darkened hearts that are very far away from God. That's, that's the point that Jesus is making here. He's telling them, you are, you're, you're, you're trying to present this image by doing all these rules, right? You're, you're telling me, I have to be wash my hands before I eat. I have to do this or, you know, you're not serious. And so they get angry about that and they tell him that, but Jesus res- responds to them by saying, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. I want you to move your Bibles over to Matthew because I want to show you a part in Matthew where he kind of talks this way as well. So Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 23 is where we're going. So Matthew chapter 23. starting in verse 37. So Matthew chapter 23, looking at verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is an even a harsher tone that Jesus takes here in this gospel, where he refers to the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, as being whitewashed tombs. The idea, idea of the fact that they're, the, the tombs look so beautiful and great on the outside, they're clean, but inside there's death and decay, right? That's the point he's making. So Jesus is, again, reminding us of the fact that it can be easy for us to make an image of ourselves. We can think that we're, you know, clean on the outside. We have this great image. People view us as being strong Christians and doing those things, but we could be very dead on the inside. And so that, that is the, the, the passage, what we're, being, what we're seeing here in this passage. So uh, he continues there at the end of that pass, at the end of those verses. Therefore, be careful um, lest the, wait, excuse me, I'm starting there in verse follow along there in verse 39 and the lord said him now you pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish but you inside are full of greed and wickedness and then it says in verse 40 you fools did he not who made the outside make the inside also so again he's 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 telling them you you you're just so ridiculous with your thoughts here you think that you're telling me that i'm doing something great by following all these extra biblical rules but deep in your hearts you have all this wickedness and death and decay inside of you you are spiritually dark you are far away from God. Verse 41, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And one of the things that could be easy for us is to say, how, how can Jesus be this harsh? Why is, he just, why is he being so rough to them? 
Why is it that it tends to be when these conversations with the religious leaders that there's always conflict and struggle and he's always going harsher at them than he does at anybody else? My viewpoint of this is that he's actually showing them a lot of grace because he's giving them an opportunity to change. He's telling them, this is what's going on inside of you and you need to change that. You need to do something differently. He's giving that opportunity. Verse 41, I just read it. But give us alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So he's telling them, Stop trying to just do all this stuff outwardly, outwardly and work on the inside. Work on what's happening here so that you can deal with everything. Because you want your image, what you're, everybody's seeing, to be true to who you are. Quit trying to just pretend that everything's good when it's not. That's what he's telling them. So obviously, he, there, there's grace that he's showing here because he's telling them what the issue is. It might seem harsh, and he's being very firm with them, but it's truth that they need to hear. And they have the choice. They could decide to go the right way and take that, that judgment on them and receive God's grace through what Jesus is offering them. Or they can go the opposite way, as we will see here in this passage. So we see here that we need to search deeply. For, for, we, we look to search deeply for acceptance in our lives. I talk to our students about this quite often. Because there's, this, there's a real deep desire to be known. We want people to know us. They want, we want people to see us as having a good image. We desire that. But often when we do that, we ignore what's going on in the inside. We ignore what's going on with our own hearts. We are driven like these religious leaders here to create an image of ourselves that, that, that isn't, it's just not reality. It's not who we are. We need to learn to be more transparent. We need to learn to share our struggles more and be open with who we, who we really are. Now, I, that doesn't mean we're going to share everything with every single person, right? But we need to have people in our life that we can be held accountable by, that we can learn to, to when they tell us something, to believe it and put it into heart and tra- change when somebody tells us that we're, str- we're sinful and doing something wrong. We need people that can speak into our lives. Because our consistency in private and public viewing will lead to God's glory being shown. If we are truly being from the outside, inside out, Good. Like if we are following God's commands from the inside out, God's glory will, will be shining all across the world. Could you put that quote up on the screen that I had? Jake, you got that? So John Wooden, the former, the famous, um, he's passed away now, but the, the famous coach of the UCLA basketball said this, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. And so that, let that sink in for a moment. So again, John Wooden's not speaking from a Christian perspective here, but it does help us to understand that we shouldn't be just worrying about our reputation, the way people view us. We should be worrying about what's really going on inside our character, who we really are. That's what we should be worrying about. And often, it's because we have a strong fear of man, right? We really want people to like us and know us and really believe the image about who we are. But Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So we need to not fear man and not worry that much about how people think of us and worry about how God views us. And he knows our inside. He knows what we're thinking. He knows where our heart is. And he still loves you. He still has grace for you, even though he knows your deep and darkest secrets. He knows everything about you. So this morning, I want you to see does, does your inside, who you are on the inside, is that's what people are seeing as an image on the outside? Or are those things consistent? 
because that's what Jesus is calling us to. So let's, let's see how Jesus continues here as he talks with the Pharisees. If you would follow along with me, we'll be in verse 42. Luke eleven forty-two. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the, be- love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. This is what uh, John MacArthur says about the Pharisees. John MacArthur says, in spiritual terms, the self-righteous and religious traditionalism of the Pharisees represented a more clear and present danger to the vital health of the nation than the tightening political vice that had already been clamped on Israel by Caesar and his accompanying armies, especially their preference for human traditions over the word of God. That, that's a pretty powerful statement. Because you remember, the Israelites were, what did they want out of their Messiah? They wanted their Messiah to be the one that would conquer and topple the Roman government. They thought the real problem was the Roman government. But Jesus is reminding us here that the religious leaders are actually a deeper problem because they are the ones on the outside that seem like the ones you should follow. They're the ones on the outside that seem like are the religious, they're, they're really following after God and have hearts that love God. But the truth of the matter is they're leading people astray and their hearts are far away from God. And they are actually more of a danger than any of the, the Roman government would be. So let's take a look at these three woes. The first woe is the idea of tithing without substance. So if you were to, to reference back to Deuteronomy 14, 20 through, 22 through 29, you would see that there was an expectation to give. We don't, we don't want to swing the pendulum in here and say we don't need to give at all. There is an expectation to give an offering, to give back to the Lord, the work of the Lord. But there also was very generous rules. It wasn't this really strict, legalistic rules set for them to do that. And that's what the, the Pharisees did, and that's what the woe is right here. He says they tithe mint, so they count it down to what we like maybe considered the very last little half or whole penny. They're counting it down very much to that. It's legalistic. It's the religious leaders are trying to show that they, look what I've done. I've counted this to the very exact penny that I need to have it. It's very legalistic. It's, it's doing this for show, not because their heart is wanting to give an offering to God. They're not doing it with their true hearts. In fact, their true hearts actually hate God because they are not caring about justice and they're not caring about loving God. So remember what the Bible tells us? Love God, love others. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And they're neglecting that. They, they, all they care about is people seeing, look at this offering I've given. I've given it down to the last penny. I've done this. But truly, their hearts hate others, and they hate God. They don't truly love him. The love is for themselves and their own comfort and their own safety. That's, that's what he's challenging them with here. And then there's the idea of the, what I call the best seat syndrome. So in that passage there, he tells them, to, to about the woe to the Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Um, in James chapter 2, he, James would refer to this as partiality. The idea that we only care about the people that have the money, 
the people that have status and control, those are the people that we're going to love and care for, and we neglect everybody else. And we try to clamor for the best seat in the synagogue. We clamor for the best seat in church or in life. We're, we're always just striving for that, no matter what it means that we push everybody else aside. And so that's the woe that he's given here. Uh, so you would see that in James chapter 2. And also in uh, Luke chapter 14, 7 through 11, he tells the story of the wedding guests, how they, just, they bring the certain wedding guests there. Um, let's actually read that. So let's flip over there. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Let's, let's actually read that story. I think it'll be helpful to us. So Luke chapter 14, 7 through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's, a, there's an example that Jesus teaches of that very thing, of the idea of not showing partiality. Because a lot of times our, our love and our energy are driven towards the people that we want to impress, to, to be known by. They believe they deserve the best place in this world because of their pompous, self-righteous, false narrative of themselves that has completely blinded them to what true reality is. And so we need to be careful, as with the Pharisees, that we're not looking always for the best for ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and, and serve others and, do, and allow others to have better places than us at times. We, we need to allow for that. And then lastly, with the third woe, he, he talks about leading others astray. Verse 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Again, pretty harsh words, pretty strong words that Jesus is telling us. I mean, just imagine, so you're, you're, there's an unmarked grave, you, nobody knows it's there. What's going to happen? In that culture, during that time, that means that you are ceremoniously unclean, and you didn't even know it. You walked over that unmarked grave, and you didn't even know it. And you didn't know all of a sudden that you have become unclean. And that's basically what he's saying what the Pharisees are doing. They're teaching falsely, they're living falsely, and they're leading other people astray. They're deceiving others, they're leading them away from God. So Jesus uses this strong language here to call them, to remind them that we are not to lead people astray. We need to live from the inside out. We need to live from the inside out. That our hearts are clean, that we are forgiven by God, we're living by grace, we are humbling ourselves, we are admitting our wrongs, because we may be on the outside, look clean, and our image is good, but we are decaying on the inside spiritually. So that's what he's reminding them here with the Pharisees. So Jesus is really serious about his accusations that he lays out here. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, they appear to be worthy they appear to be clean on the outside they, they appear to have this great image but they're dead spiritually on the inside they don't love others they don't love god so this speaks very directly to the issue of hypocrisy and i have to be honest with you that i i spent a lot of time in prayer this week as i was finishing up this message because i recognize that there's things in my own heart that i have to deal with there's things in my life that are not consistent like they should be. And I think if we were all honest with each other and honest with ourselves this morning, that would be true of all of us. 
So some of the things that this, this passage right here, the Pharisees challenged me, is only giving of our offerings begrudgingly without love for God or others. Or maybe that we're seeking the best and finest for ourselves and judging others by their outward appearances or what they have to offer me. Are we leading others astray by teaching a certain way but not living that way the way, the way we should? Are we all show without any real love of God in our hearts? Where is it today that we are hypocritical? Where is it that we need to check our hearts this morning? Because that's what Jesus is challenging us to. He's challenging the Pharisees specifically, but he also wants us to check our hearts and our self-righteousness. So interesting enough here, the question at the beginning was, are, are we living from the inside out do what would people see real is the, what people see on the outside is it real and then are we are we living like the pharisees are, are we being hypocritical are we being that way are we living that way and interesting enough here comes the lawyers here come the scribes it's interesting they're they're not even being talked to right now they're nobody's talking to the scribes the lawyers they're just on the outside listening to this and they get triggered immediately right? Follow along there in verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load your people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be changed against this generation. For the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be acquired of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So Jesus is like, okay, well, you're going to be triggered. You're going to, be, you're going to get upset about this. Well, let me tell you some woes as well. So he starts here by giving the, the, very, the very first woe that he gives them is the idea of the, in there you see in verse 45, teacher in saying these things, you insult us also. And then he says in verse 46, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. Remember when I was talking about with the Pharisees, how they have all those burdensome rules, those extra biblical laws and things like the cleaning with the hands before eating, that type of stuff. So the scribes, the lawyers, they're the ones that are kind of writing this down. They're the ones interpreting the law. So as a part of interpreting the law, they're adding all these extra biblical rules, all these things that are loading burden upon burden on the people. And so they're not even able to follow that, right? I mean, how easy would it be to be able to follow when you have all these extra rules? So they're loading these stuff on them, and they can't even handle it. They can't, it's impossible to follow it. And on top of that, they're asking them to follow these rules, and they're not going to follow them. So it says there that you're loading these burdens on them, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with your own fingers. Kind of sounds maybe a little bit sometimes how we feel about politicians, you know, where they, they would say, you know, they put, give, put us all these laws and rules on us, but then it doesn't apply to them. So that's basically what's happening here. They're telling the scribes, the lawyers, you put all these burdensome rules that are impossible to follow, and you don't do it yourself. 
And so, and I mean, on, thirdly, on top of that, they are not actually, even if they do follow these rules, and even if they ask the people to follow these rules, they aren't doing it with their hearts. They're not really doing it because they love others and because they love God. They're doing it because they want to show off that, look at me, look who I am, look what I'm doing. It's all a show. So that's the first woe that he gives to the, to the lawyers is the idea of loading burdens that are impossible and don't even do them themselves. Secondly is what I call the monuments of hypocrisy. So they've built these great statues. They've great, built these great monuments to the old prophets and leaders of the Old Testament from time past. But they don't actually believe anything those prophets say deep in the real, really in their hearts. They don't even believe it. They don't even trust in them. And in fact, it says that they, their ancestors were murderers of those prophets and those leaders of the Old Testament. And they were in agreement that they did so. So they're building these statues, these monuments to the prophets, and they, they oppose them with their hearts. With major hypocrisy, they put on this huge show like they're you know, following the narrative of we got to follow these prophets, we got to do this right thing. But deep in their hearts, they don't believe a word those prophets said. They don't actually want to live anything like those prophets did. So it's major hypocrisy going on there. All it was was mere formalism, and it had no, there was no real support or belief in anything that those prophets said. And then lastly, if you look there at verse, there at verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. So this is the idea of false teaching. So they, they, they never even really allowed the people to have the key of knowledge of teaching. They didn't allow them to learn for themselves, to understand scripture, to know it, to, to believe in it. They didn't even give them the opportunity. And not only that, but they led the people astray in the things they were teaching. Again, they would teach you this one thing, but then they would live it the other way. They would teach, but in their hearts, they didn't really believe it. So it's hypocrisy. It's, it's not real. It's just formalism. And then in the last part, it says, and then you hindered those who were entering. So again, people are trying to enter into knowledge. They're trying to understand who God is. They're trying to understand how to love God, but they can't do it because these people are hindering them. These scribes, these these interpreters of the law have interpreted the law incorrectly and not allowed people to understand how to love God and love others. And so they've been, they've been held back from that. So you see that these, these lawyers are stopping them from the ability to be able to really understand who God is. So again, Jesus is serious about these accusations. And one of the things that we come to is, is, is a crossroads here. These, these Pharisees, these lawyers, they have been given the opportunity to respond with believing in God and really trusting in him and really loving him and really wanting to be obedient to him. It, with not just their actions and their outward, but in their hearts. They've been given the opportunity to change from the inside out. So Jesus is very serious about these accusations. These, these scribes, just like the Pharisees, they were experts and worthy of listening to on the outside. They, they seem clean with their image, but truthfully, they are crafty deceivers headed for destru destruction. They're leading other people to judgment and themselves to judgment. They've, they've loaded these extra rules. So how can this 
speak to us. Are we adding extra rules and expectations on ourselves and others that are not biblical? Do we make idols out of those that we trust the most in the church and theological issues and the way we believe? Is there only certain people that we listen to and they're the only ones that we think they give us truth? When there probably are more uh, voices we need to be listening to on certain topics? Do we publicly support our church leaders instead of backstabbing them or gossiping behind their backs? Do we really truly do that? Do we accept and even celebrate teachings? Maybe, maybe we do, like they, we do. Maybe we don't even follow the key of knowledge or enter ourselves in or even learn or teach others about what true Bible teaching is, what the Word of God actually says. Instead, we try a formalism. We try just having this clean image as we come to church. We, we don't, we're not serious about fighting sin that's deep inside of us, the things that make us self-righteous. And so we come to this crossroads here. How could we respond to this? How will the Pharisees and how will the lawyers, how will they respond to this? Because they are given an opportunity to be given grace and to follow God rightly and do it rightly. We need to be like what Matt read earlier from Psalm chapter 51, right? When David is confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan, what does he do? He humbles himself and realizes that he is a sinner and he needs God's grace. And there's that powerful and important passage of Psalm 51. That, that's how we should respond to this morning, what Jesus is telling us. We need to root this stuff out of our own hearts. We need to think deeply about where self-righteousness is, is hitting us. And I, again, I'm not looking at you all. Like, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm pointing the finger back at myself because I need this. I need to be reminded of my own deep sin in my heart and my own self-righteousness. So how, does, how do the, the lawyers and the Pharisees respond? Verse 53, it's sad. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Because one of the things I want you to know is when Jesus says woe, you know, he says woe six times. He says woe three times to the Pharisees, woe three times to the lawyers. He's not doing that in anger. The woe that he's using there, the Hebrew word, we, we would think of it more of lamenting. He's not necessarily angry at them in that situation. He's sad. He's upset. He's, 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 he wants them to follow him. He wants them to do the right thing. He's giving them an opportunity to see this deep, sinful, dark hearts that they have. And instead of responding in kind and responding, responding to want to follow the grace that Jesus is offering, instead they begin to press him harder. And from the rest of Luke, you'll see the religious leaders are after him. They're lying in wait to catch him. I think of going back to, to A Christmas Carol, I think of the very, one of my favorite versions of, of A Christmas Carol in, a, in movie format is the one from the 1980s where George C. Scott plays Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. And after the, the third ghost, the ghost of the future comes, there's a very pointed moment where Ebenezer Scrooge sees the depth of his wickedness. He breaks down, his hard heart has been softened in a very deep way. And he asks, he's crying, he's on his knees, he's, he's asking the, the ghost, is there, is there still time? Can I change? Is it, can something happen differently? Will, will I be able to reverse some of this? And what we see there 
is there is still time for change. He's offered them change. He's offered these Pharisees and these lawyers an opportunity to change by showing them the wickedness of their heart. So in the same way that Charles Dickens changed, in the same way that, that Ebenezer Scrooge changes in that story, we can do the opposite of what the Pharisees and the lawyers did. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loves us and died for us even in the midst of our sin. He knows our minds. He knows our hearts. He knows our struggles. But he still loves us and still wants to show us grace. So I ask you and I plead with you this morning. Please humble yourself as we begin this new year. Humble yourself enough to recognize that there is heart there's a heart issue with all of us. We all have self-righteousness in certain areas. We all have struggles in certain areas. And we need God's grace. Let us not be hard-hearted like the Pharisees and the lawyers here and choose to go our own path and choose to reject and be angry at God and try to fashion Jesus in the way we want him to be. Jesus is warning us today to have faith in him, to receive his grace that alone brings salvation and allow his spirit to guide us from away from those woes that plague our own hearts. So I plead with you, brothers and sisters in Christ today, to search your hearts and respond not with hard hearts, but with hearts that are deeply softened by our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather together. Lord, this is not an easy passage because it's peering in deep into our hearts and our souls. Lord, that we recognize that we all have self-righteousness, we all have sin issues that we need to root out and deal with. So Lord, help us to not be hard-hearted like the Pharisees and the lawyers. Help us to respond in receiving your grace that you have given us. Lord, continue to show us where our sin struggles are. Help us to allow other people to speak into our lives. Help us to be transparent with one another in this church body. But Lord, we, we all need your grace. We all need your salvation. You're the only way that we can receive that. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us. Um, if there's anybody in this room this morning, I pray that doesn't, that doesn't know you, Lord, that they will, they will, they will seek and that you will, you will call them to a relationship with you. And, Lord, if, if, if those that are here this morning that do have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they will um, go this week and not let this message go in one ear and out the other, but, Lord, that they will seek deeply into their hearts, Lord, and allow you to, to, to get into the deep parts of our hearts that we like to hide, the things that we are ashamed of, that we struggle with, that we don't want to ruin our image. Lord, we all desire to have a, a desire, we have a desire to be known. We have a desire for people to like us, to see a good image in us. But Lord, help us not to do that at the, uh, at, at, by doing that and just by getting rid of any, any thoughts of the inside, Lord, that dealing with our heart and, and really wanting to go, live from the inside out. So Lord, be with us as we go through this week. Help us to, to strive to love you more in 2022, to bring you more glory. And Lord, one of the ways I just really believe we can bring you more glory this year is be serious about continual self-reflection and coming to you on a daily daily basis to confess and repent and move past some of the, the struggles that we have that are that are sinful in our hearts so lord thank you from this this challenge of this passage today it may not be easy for us but it's something we all need to hear and i pray lord that you will continue to to help us to strive to allow your word to speak into our hearts 
Lord, help us not to fashion you as our Savior in the way we want you to be, but the way that you actually are. If that means struggle for us and difficulty over time, I pray that it, it, we will work through that. But we desire for, for the world to be known because we believe in you and as who you are. So Lord, just thank you so much for what you taught us this morning. Be with us as we go through 2022 and help us to, to love you and bring more glory to you through this year. Pray all this in your great and gracious name. Amen.